Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. On today's episode, we had the incredible honor of chatting with national speaker and best-selling author, Rebecca Lyons. We chat with Rebecca about her latest project, Rhythms of Renewal. Say that five times fast. Nope. Rhythms of Renewal. No, no, no. Okay. (laughs) Rhythms of Renewal, charting specific ways we can intentionally walk in sustained emotional, spiritual, and physical health and renewal. Rebecca shares vulnerably about her own battle with anxiety, depression, and panic Mm -hmm. attacks, offering encouragement for those of us in that same struggle, as well as how we as the church can carry one another's burdens and fight for the healing and renewal of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the most critical piece, is that if we were a united army of people who love God, then that means the person among us who is struggling or suffering would never feel hidden or alone. Like they would literally feel rallied around and cared for. And I just feel like this is a siren. Like we've got to take responsibility to do that for someone else in the way that they would do that for us. I just love her authenticity and her willing to share her personal story. And she really dives into that in our time today. Guys, and if you don't know, Rebecca's work has been featured on Good Morning America, CNN, The Huffington Post, and many, many more. Alongside of her husband, Gabe, she serves as the co-founder of Q Ideas, an organization helping Christian leaders engage in culture. Now, Gabe and Rebecca have four children, two dogs, and they live just down the street from us in Franklin, Tennessee, mm-hmm. our brand new home. <laughs> Guys, wherever you find yourself today, we hope this conversation will encourage you with practical steps to cultivate daily habits that will strengthen you mentally, emotionally, and physically and ultimately lead you towards the vibrant life that you and that we all long for. So without further ado, here's Rebecca. All right, well, Rebecca, welcome to the show. We're glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I love that you guys are neighbors. Yeah, yeah. We're neighbors. Yeah, we're great. Settling in here in Franklin. Yes. It's a great, great place. One day at a time. All right, so for the people listening that don't know who you are and what you do, could you just give us a little bit of backstory of who Rebecca Lyons is. Sure. Okay. Goodness. Well, my roles, uh, I've been a wife of Gabe for 22 years in December. Nice. Nice. And then we have offspring. So (laughs) four, Cade is 18, Pierce is 16, Kennedy's 14. And then Joy, we just brought home from China nine months ago and she is six and just started kindergarten. So that's my jam. Those are my people. And then as far as my work, I guess, I started writing books seven years ago because I kind of had a crash and burn when we moved to New York City in 2010 and developed panic disorder. At the time, I didn't have language for it, but just chronic panic attacks. And God knew that I was a chronic oversharer, and he would give me a story I couldn't shut up about. So <laughs> just writing it. And then now for the last seven years, I've just, I just teach on um, emotional, spiritual, relational health in the church. And outside the church, quite frankly, now, I feel like this is more a societal conversation. So it's not just for people of faith, and hopefully it's for people who are not sure about faith, but are wanting to invite God into where they are in their place of pain. So yeah, so it's all about freedom and then living in a way of rhythm that allows for a sustained journey of um, walking in 
in God's design and his created order so that we can live to the fullest of whatever he destined for each of us. That's so good. So good. So this is your third book, right? Free Mm -hmm. Fall to Fly, You You Are Are Free, Free, and now Rhythms of Renewal. Yes. I was going to put free in the third book title. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) I like when we named our firstborn Cade, and my husband's name is Gabe. And people were like, Cade, Gabe, Cabe. And my dad (laughs) called Cade, Cabe for at least the first six months of his life. So I like to keep things confusing. Right, right. Um, And so now I've I've written a book, Rhythms of Renewal, to teach all of America how to spell the word rhythms. (laughs) It's It's tough. Because um, most people do not put the H at the front, like R-Y-T-H. And we're like, no, no, no. So I had to write a song for it. If you want me, I will sing it for you. Oh, please sing it. It's really like about four seconds long, but it's R-H-Y-T-H-M-S. Once you know the song, you won't have to guess. Oh, yay. I love it. That's a trademark. That's one of of the things I thought of at like three in the morning when I had crazy brain and I was like, no one's going to be able to find my book. Like, (laughs) or the podcast or anything that's got the word rhythm in it. Right. Yeah. That's a little R-H-Y situation. Love it. All right. Well, let's dive into all things rhythms of renewal. Tell us about this experience. What led you to write the book? I know you talked a little bit about some of your kind of things you walked through in New York, but um, what is your hope when people pick this book up? Sure. So when I went to the woods back in 2012 to write this first story, The Crash and Burn, like um, I had walked through that panic season for over a year and then walked out a healing journey from there. I remember one specific night I just cried out to God for rescue and I felt peace. I felt perfect peace that began a healing journey. I would not have had language for it, like called it healing or anything like that. It was more like I feel God's nearness right now and he's sustaining me. And I want to like walk in a new way. And so the panic attack stopped. And I remember coming back in the city and I had to get on the train again to go like five flights underground to go to Queens to visit a friend. And the muscle memory of anxiety just crept in out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I thought we were better. And it was just the idea of like, I got through it. I got through it with a sweet old man who like basically held my hand on the subway. I think he was like 80. (laughs) But I came back up to the, like, the ground surface after that, and I remember going home that night, and I wrote in my journal, Rhythms of Renewal. I needed these practices or these habits to help me because I knew that prayer was obviously an ingredient. I knew that faith and trust and surrender were all ingredients. But I also knew that I needed to reorder my life. I need to rebuild a life of health. And it took proactive steps to do that. So at first, I was really ambitious. Like I had just read The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. Mm -hmm. And so I had like all these grand plans mapped out for the week. And then, of course, it had to be perfect. And then I failed. So instead, I slowly pared it down to just four rhythms that I, over now the course of eight years, um, have learned that these are for sustained emotional. So I, trust me when I say that like I have lived this book out before I put it in print because I want people to know that they're simple, they're actionable, they're practical, they don't cost money. It's just, it's like the question I kept getting from people on the road who are start, who are coming out of anxiety or coming out of depression or, or starting to find like a silver lining there. They're like, now what? What do I do? What does this look like every day? Maybe I'm coming out of counseling or I'm coming off of medication or whatever those things are. 
I want to know like, how do I order my life in a way for sustained emotional, spiritual and relational health? And that was the goal is just to put it down, get it down on paper in practical, actionable, tangible ways. I love that so much. So let's dive into the four rhythms that you talk about. So you have, I love you have two input and two output. Can you talk about the difference and kind of um, set up the four rhythms for us? I love that you know that there's two input and two output because (laughs) here's the thing. We can't give what we haven't received. So I start and build the rhythms in a linear fashion because they build upon each other. And so rest is the first rhythm because God's not casual about rest. It's not optional. Basically, we burn out if we don't rest. And we are experiencing that right now as a society. We are all on this like the throes of this collective panic attack because we have been so on, we've been so moving and and plugged in and talking to everyone but connecting with no one. So yes, this spinning out that's happening. So we're like, hey, how about we all stop and take a nap? So <laughs> Amen. I love it. So you guys, when this podcast is over, you your your first rhythm is go take a nap. <laughs> okay. Yes, ma'am. And I read a book not not a faith book, a research book, and it was almost a historian talking about like the generations before us, how presidents and scholars and scientists and painters and authors, like their normal rhythm was actually very human and very healthy. And I was like, oh, why do we not? And they would do volumes, like volumes, like hundreds of books and produce so much in their lives, but yet they napped every day, you know, or they would go for walks every day. And then, then um, I was just laughing so hard how at like three to five in the afternoon, they would do correspondence, which basically is our version of email. Yet that was like the last thing they worried about. Like their, their first hours of the day were all about creativity, about being with God, about getting outside and then taking a nap after lunch. So I'm like, okay, I'm in, I've I've got it. I'm doing it. (laughs) So the first two are input rhythms are rest and restore. And I start with rest because it's about the inner life, spiritual life. It's about us going with God. Like, are we okay? Are you and I okay? Am I, am I even okay with who I am? Um, who do you say I am? So some chapters or expressions of that are tech detox. So we silence the noise so we can even hear God. Getting quiet, creating space to listen, do the heart work, count sheep. I have some routines for deep sleep because a lot of people over a chronic season of output, they start to have some levels of insomnia. So I kind of walk us through practical ways to approach that morning routine, coffee candle and a pen. It's all about how do we come before God and those quiet hours of the morning to be filled up before we go out. And then a chapter on Sabbath, because I don't think you can talk about rest without Sabbath and really just some tangible expressions of what that looks like. So in the other two input rhythm that comes from that, like once you're rested, it's like, okay, then how does your body get energy? And so restore is all about our physical health. And so areas in that section are about eating smart and brain food about taking walks outside, um, clearing that brain fog, seeking adventure, breaking a sweat, pushing yourself, and play. Coming back to the childhood where you don't, you give up control because play cannot coexist. So those are the two input rhythms. I loved that line. I'm so glad you said that. That play and control do not coexist. That was so good. Um, I think all of us with little kids can totally relate to that. We have to let go of that control in order to be fully present with them and how freeing it is to give up that control and then just enter into their world of play. 
It's incredible. So let's dive into a couple of these rhythms a little bit more. I love, um, we were talking about this before we jumped on, the importance of quiet, and that's in that rest section. Can you talk about that a little bit more? I love how you mentioned like, it's not something that's easy to do. It is really hard to create that space and cultivate that habit of quiet. Can you talk about what that looks like practically for you in your life? Well. When I took time off social media, I learned three lessons. I started sleeping again and dreaming again and learning again. Mm -hmm. And then as I had all this time back in my day, I was like, yeah, that shows how much time I'd spent on my phone, apparently. Then I started getting time with my people or time alone with God. And again, loneliness and solitude are two different things. Loneliness is really you believe that you're alone, whereas solitude is you're always with God. God is your ever-present help. And so I found even in the quiet, the solitude actually allowed me to hear that still small voice, to be more sensitive to um, the needs of my people. So for example, like with our kids, you guys have kids, it's, it's hearing what's not being said or like reading behind the eyes and going, not, they're not being totally forthright on what's going on. Like give me the spiritual wisdom to actually ask for something a little deeper and be patient for it, right? Not everyone processes their stuff or their pain the same ways, but I can't even be present for that if there's not a quiet moment. And then I find that like, as much as I love music and I grew up, you know, just in all the fine arts growing up for instruments and I just loved music and noise as a kid. Now I am just so replenished when there's not something input coming in. I feel like I think a little clearer, like I'm home today doing this podcast. It's quiet. I feel so revived right now. <laughs> and so, and even that one um, quiet, we talk about extrovert, introvert, or ambivert. And I guess now I am a combo of both. And I don't know if that's like, I'm just tired or old, or I'm just like, because <laughs> <laughs> I definitely was an extrovert as a kid. And I, but I feel like when I started to have kind of more of a public work where I'd have to go and be on at all times, I'd come home and kind of crash feeling drained from that and then yet feeling restored and quiet. So I think anyone who has kids that are around all the time, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're a little more of an introvert than you thought you were. Right. right? Yes. And that refuel sure. you going. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk, let's dive into the next two, the output. Let's, what are the two output practices and rhythms that people can do to be renewed? Okay, so the output are connect and create. So connect is your relational health and create is your vocational health, like your work. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. some examples for connect, I write chapters on friendship and vulnerability, conflict resolution, um, parenting, hospitality, marriage, and even how to bear one another's burdens. I think it's really wonderful to see the church do that for each other. So that's a, a great way of just living out this present, being present for people, that or hospitality, inviting people in, asking questions that are, again, embodied below the surface, being fully known and fully loved. So relational health is a big deal right now in culture because there's an epidemic of loneliness. I just yeah. did an interview this week with someone, you know, in Gen Z, which is ages 22 and below, and then millennials are 23 to 38. But this idea that 42% feel deep feelings of loneliness, and I think it was 22% feel 
feel like they don't have any real friends. So that, that, that are more transactional or more work related, but not actually just no strings attached kind of friends. You like, you just like come as you are, be who you are. I love you no matter what. And so that's sobering to me about the state of our relational health. And so I hope these are just um, practical, just ways for people to kind of dig in a little and go, why maybe I'm actually withholding who I am to other people out of defensiveness or being guarded because I don't want to be hurt again. I talk about how I was hurt in friendship and it made me kind of want to like pull back mm. knowing that like any relationship, it requires risk because whatever that grief or pain was, it's never the end of your relational story, right? Mm -hmm. You still are walking out if you're married with a spouse or if you're, you know, even if you're single, you still have family or you have close friendships you've had for a long time. And there's a, there's a high value in sustaining those over a long haul. You want people to know who you were before you are who you are now. You know, you want people to have walked with you in that journey and see your maturity, but also even call you out in a loving way of going like, hey, what you're doing right now isn't really who you historically are. So pay attention to that. And then the final one is create. And that's vocation. And examples of that are um, dreaming again, recovering your passion, working with your hands, learning something new, taking a risk and making a memory or being responsible. So it's just, again, just these ways to start to go when God created us, he wanted us to be, he gave us his Imago day to co-create with him. And it says in Psalm 139 that all our days were written and planned before one of them began. So he has intention and order for every one of our lives and gives us these birthright gifts to carry them out. We certainly don't have to do them. We can say, now we want to live our own life, our own home. But there is a fullness when we submit to that because we're like, okay, God, you know, and I want to follow you. I want to walk with you in it. I don't want to just go run ahead and think I've got life figured out because usually that leads to some level of bondage. It's mm -hmm. just coming back to center of like, what are, who were you as a kid? What did you love to do? Let's let those natural God-given gifts and talents come back to bear even in your adult life. Mm, that's so good. It all comes back to play, man. Just gotta <laughs> just go out there and play and have a lot of fun, right? No, it, kids haven't learned to be afraid yet. Right. right. And there's something we can learn from them. Even bringing Joy home, she's in kindergarten and she's, I mean, everything's a party right now. And I'm like, man, I have a lot I can learn from her. It's good. Yes. Oh, so good. So good. Well, I mean, this topic and what you're talking about, I know it's going to help so many people. And we know that it, it is widespread in our society when it comes to anxiety and stress. And, and even yesterday, we got the heartbreaking news that we lost another leader, young leader in the church uh, to depression. And really, you know, it's just so sad. So but, but there is hope, and I think that's what this book is all about, that there is hope. So what would you say to somebody who maybe is battling anxiety or they have stress or depression and they feel like there really isn't a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. Yeah, so our lifespan in our, on our soil, especially among white males, is shortening for three reasons. They're calling it now these deaths of despair, and they are – Opioid addiction, their um, cirrhosis of the liver where it's alcoholism, and then suicide. And despair is when you believe that things will never actually change. And it, it does, on some level, become a crisis of faith. It, 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 on some level, it becomes like, God, are you here? Do you care? Are you going to get in the middle of this? 
And it makes me as a person of faith so sad, especially to watch people in the church walk through this because they're not walking through this because they don't have enough faith. They're walking through this because there's literally a battle between good and evil, like warring for their soul. And I think if we are too casual about this and we just leave it up to our own will to be strong enough to have the stamina, like, I'm just going to fight the enemy by myself. This is going to be a quiet thing with just a couple people. Like, no, 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 no holds barred. If you are literally feeling suicidal thoughts, invite people all around you and get people who are going to like literally contend with you on your behalf because you were not made to do this alone and we were not made to rescue ourselves it's going to require almost the church to literally come around people who are struggling what i'm finding is a lot of these things um, are still coming from some level of isolation there's also a lot of things unfortunately around death still are somehow attached even to certain kinds of medications that keep shifting and changing and evolving and it's just interesting to me because obviously medication doesn't cure anything it helps you cope but it's supposed to be for a season to help you walk into a healing journey and there are so many reasons as to why a lot of death is happening right now but ultimately it is despair it's it's like we're being taken over to believe that like it's just not going to get any better And the only way we see glimmers of hope pierce through that is I believe when the Holy Spirit brings a holy people together that literally can cover one another and go, this is not the end of your story. What you're facing, you are not alone in this. I want to come with you. I want to contend in prayer. We want to be present in your life. We want to make sure you're never like feeling these moments of like raging thoughts and you don't even know where to go. And so I I think it's calling the church to be the church again. It's calling us to not just be the church like on a social media platform, but be the church in the living room when the person is like saying their final things. Be the church that shows up and doesn't like shrink back from those hard, hard places. Like Gabe and I at our church, right? We'll have prayer time at the end of a service and we'll be up there praying with people. And literally people will come up and say, I... I'm having suicidal thoughts right now. We don't just like be like, okay, that's cool. Sorry. Like, no, there's this weight of responsibility that we are sharing and that we are carrying. And I think of the people who prayed over me and who came around me. I had to borrow from their faith in certain mm-hmm. moments. And that's what it's for. Like, we're supposed to actually like <laughs> be a part of that tethering, like, like that unity. And so I think as a church, um, It's not just this obscure, suicide is not just this obscure subject that's sad and we don't know what to do with. There's a war and there's an evil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And then we are carriers of light. And Jesus says, he comes to do this, but I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And if we're feeling the weight of evil, then we as people of light have got to, who carry light shining in our hearts, it says in 1 Corinthians. We might be messed up and cracked and fragile, but we still carry hope and we carry light. And so if that is indeed true, then we are supposed to rally around the people who are being oppressed by evil. Truly, that's, that's, that's my response. 
It's so good. It's a good response. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Agreed. I, I want to take a second. And um, I mean, we're talking from this perspective of that person that is feeling lost and, you know, that there's no hope or nothing around the corner. But can you take a second and talk to the person who's maybe the one walking right next to them that doesn't understand what they're walking through, doesn't understand the feelings they're having. And I know this book will help them understand as well, but maybe maybe there's even a story as, as Gabe walked through with you in your season. What does that look like for that person who's standing next to the person who's really struggling? Yeah. That's good. Well, there's a huge weight and a responsibility that person feels, right? right. And so... I commend the ones who walk alongside, but you still can't be the only one. Um, right. You have to still have three or four people because we sometimes can get this like savior complex, like we're going to help that person. And yet the things that are they're dealing with are great. And I have tried to do that even with people in my own life. And, and God's like, wait a minute. I am the one who does the saving. You come around and you get ever other people who comes around and you be a present. You be a faithful presence. That's our job, to be a faithful presence. And when we're feeling depleted or we're being kind of like even discouraged, we'll go, okay, I need to go away and I need to get more time before God to be reminded of the truth of who he is and how the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. And so sometimes, you know, Gabe would have to pull away and get around some men and just go, I need to know better how to help her. And then also make sure I had friends around me that weren't just Gabe, like women, girlfriends. I mean, there would be times where I would realize like I'm starting to go into a tunnel and I would literally like text and tag a couple friends and be like, I'm feeling depression knocking right now. I know what it is. I know where it's going and I'm not going to give way to it. So I'm going to almost preempt it by inviting people in. This is the most critical piece is that if we were a united army of people who love God, then that means the person among us who is struggling or suffering would never feel hidden or alone. Like they would literally feel rallied around and cared for. And I just feel like this is a siren it's like a call for all of us to wake up. You don't have to be suicidal. You could be depressed. You could feel alone. You could, whatever those things are, like we've got to take responsibility to do that for someone else in the way that they would do that for us. We have a friend in our church walking through something super hard with one of their children. We're on a text thread with like 15 of us. We're bringing them meals. We're helping like just be all the things they need in all different ways. And I've never have I seen the church be more beautiful and more true to what it was created to be. Um, to the person who though feels alone, they might be listening. They're like, yeah, that sounds great, but no one's helping me. Um, go to someone and tell someone. Mm -hmm. And if your church is ignoring you, go to another church, go to another church that actually will hear you that will actually care and want to rally with you. I think what part of the pain point is there are hurting people in the church who have reached out and been ignored yeah. or been alienated or isolated. We can't be all things to all people, but as a church, we can be all things. Like there's a bunch of people coming around, right. a bunch of people. So I think the role in the church right now is to assimilate better, to mm -hmm. actually pair people, to help people get in groups and community and know each other. Because you can't care for the needs of each other if you don't know each other. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is if you're the one suffering, you have got to speak up. You have got to reach out. 
uh, and start somewhere because people just don't know. People won't know. And you'll be hiding behind like a deep pain and feeling completely alone in it. And then ultimately the lie is that no one cares. And that's not the truth. People just A, don't know. And they B, don't know how to begin. Yeah. You have to also take the initiative to tell someone. Yeah. That's such great advice. I love that. I think the natural reaction when we're going through something like that is like, but I'm doing all the things. I'm reading reading the Bible and I'm praying and I'm spending all this time pursuing the Lord, but we actually have to reach out to other people as well. Like we need both that input and the output. So that's great advice. I love it. Well, I think you already kind of answered this, but when somebody picks up this book, what do you hope when they put it down at the end of this journey, what do you hope they walk away with? Uh, encouragement encouragement for sure, um, practical steps. But back to what we were just saying about community, I was thinking about people I know that are married, that have been married for a couple decades, or at least one. They've been married for a while. They're raising kids. Just because you're married and you're raising kids together doesn't mean you talk to each other all the time about what you're really facing or what you're really feeling or what you're really dealing with. And I even think about suicides within marriage or people who are very discouraged and depressed within marriage. I think of myself, how often I have to go, hey, Gabe, um, I need to tell you some stuff. I, I need to make sure that I'm not just like living stressed out among you, but yeah. I'm actually telling you what's feeding it and why I'm feeling it and whatever the lies are I'm believing or the insecurities that I, and I want to confess it to you. James says, you know, um, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. There is this practical application to be doing that even just in our families, right? Yeah. Yeah. I made someone for you to be one with, and you're not telling each other where your pain is. Mm -hmm. Because for whatever reason, the lie from the enemy is that we're always better off alone, that we'll just keep it to ourselves, that we'll yeah. somehow it with I'm like yes read my book and I hope it helps but gosh read it with your spouse or talk about it with your spouse talk about what you're learning because you can read a book and it looks good all day but if you actually don't have any level of accountability to the person that God has put you with then you can just decide to stop these rhythms in two weeks and nobody will care or no so some, on some level I think the rhythms lived out in my marriage is because Gabe's watched me he goes hey the other day, he saw me starting to overstress about something dumb. And he goes, hey, you know what's going to be really important for you in the season? I'm like, what? He goes, living out your actual rhythms that you wrote about. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, right? Yeah. Iron sharpening iron. Yeah. There's a friction there that I know his intentions and motives are for my good. They're for my health. And I have the same freedom to talk to him like that because we have made ourselves, we've mutually submitted ourselves to one another so that we can flourish. So my encouragement is if you read this book, go through it with someone else, go through it with your spouse, with a friend, someone where you're like, I actually really want this kind of sustained health she's talking about. And I know I can't do it alone. And I want to have some accountability with it. That's so good. So great. Well, yeah. thank you for sharing all of this with us. Guys, go out there, get this book. Tell Rebecca that you're cheering her on, you're with her, and how much has helped you. But before we wrap up, I'm going to ask you these three questions. It's kind of a rapid fire round. Are you ready? <laughs> I don't even know. But Perfect. <laughs> Money. All right, they go a little like this. What's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what advice would you give to the younger you? So Awesome. Okay, the book that changed my life is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, written in 1948. 
he's a Holocaust survivor and talks about just that we're made for meaning. And meaning is defined by your love, your work, and your bravery and suffering. So he's amazing. Um, habit that's changed my life. Uh, just walking. Um, I walk a trail by my house almost every morning at 6.15 in the morning. So I get to like quiet, see the sun come up. Sometimes Gabe goes with me. Most times he does. And I don't know. I just being outside is like a big deal for me for my emotional health. Uh, and then so habit book. What was the last one? What advice would you give to the younger Rebecca? You're sitting across the table from her. <laughs> what would you tell her? Oh, I would just tell her like, don't overthink. Be patient. You have no idea what's coming, but everything leads to the next thing. It's okay that seasons of your life are really hard and painful. Death always precedes resurrection. There is always going to be a new thing coming, even from the place of pain that you're walking through right now. Mm, I love it. That's so great. It's a, quite the period on this conversation. Great job. <laughs> hey, where can everybody find you, look you up, grab the book, all that good stuff? Sure. It's just my name, RebeccaLyons.com or at RebeccaLyons on all socials. And my name is spelled the Hebrew way. So it's R-E-B-E-K-A-H. L-Y-O-N-S. Yeah, my parents named all of us Bible names and the way they were spelled in the Bible. So there you have it. Thank you. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for listening today. We hope this episode blessed you and we would love to hear from you. So please take a minute, leave a review on iTunes, hit us up on our website, letsliveitwell.com or hey, we're on social media. The whole world is, right? Come find us there. We love hearing from you and how these conversations are speaking directly to you. And also you can find all the info for today's episode, all the books and links mentioned in our show notes over at our website, letsliveitwell.com. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. We're going to close it out like we do every single time. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.